Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. So that's a good reinterpretation of the tabernacle. Thanks. And um, we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about this. Really, it's a, it's, a, it's a tactile version of worship. It's God's first, thanks, God's first introduction um, to the pattern of heaven. He, he gave this to his children. Just to give you some background, um, he gave this to the children of Israel, to his, his nation um, that he called his own nation uh, when they were in the wilderness. So just some background, God's people, as, as, as we call them, they're really the children of a man named Abraham. God found Abraham and called Abraham and said, I'm going to give you many children and I'm going to create a great nation out of you and made a lot of promises to Abraham. And one of the, one of the, the promises that God made to Abraham was that his nation would rise up and that they would then go into captivity. So God prophesied that they would go into captivity for 400 years. And he said, but at the end of the 400 years, um, they will come out of captivity and I will prosper them. And so God's intention for his people were, were always good, even though it included um, some bad stuff. So God uses difficult things. God uses captivity. God uses uh, stuff like that. And he even knows that it's coming. And sometimes he'll even warn us about it. And he warns Abraham about it. He says, your, your children are going to be uh, enslaved for 400 years. Now they go to Egypt and they become slaves and they are slaves for about 400 years until God raises up a deliverer, a man named Moses. And Moses, he goes through a bit of a a stint himself. He's got a bit of a a path that he travels. And finally, by the time he's 80 years old, um, he's, he's, you know, you all are ready to retire. He's just, just getting started. Uh, And Moses leads the people of God out of Egypt and into the wilderness and, and, and if you go back and if you read some of those passages where Moses is talking to Pharaoh, the main thing that God keeps saying over and over again, he says, I want, I want to lead my people into the wilderness so that I may meet with them. That's what he keeps talking about. Because God couldn't meet with them when they were in captivity. Uh, the presence of God could not be uh, powerful in their midst when they were in captivity. And, and if that's true back then, it's true nowadays. So freedom, the purpose of freedom, and last year was the year of freedom that we felt like God was calling us to, to preach on, to teach on, to have small groups about. The purpose of freedom is not so that you can just go be free. The purpose of freedom is so that you can come into the presence of God. It's about the presence of God. It's about intimacy with God. Freedom creates an atmosphere where you can now enter into fellowship, relationship with God. And this is, this is what captivity will always keep you from. This is what the enemy doesn't tell you. This is, the, this is why he desires God's people to be in captivity, because if he can keep them in captivity, he can keep them out of communion, relationship, and, 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 and intimacy with the God of the universe. And so, and, and so now that they're free out of Egypt... The whole purpose of that is that they may 
that God may dwell with them. And then in Exodus uh, chapter 19, they, they, they finally come to this, this huge mountain called Mount Sinai. And there's a lot of interesting reasons as to why God chose Mount Sinai. Some believe that it was used also in other scriptures before this. But Moses gets to Mount Sinai and God comes down from heaven. I mean, literally it's giant cloud. Multiple clouds start swirling around Mount, Mount Sinai with um, lightning and voices. And, and it's quite a scary sight. And Moses goes up onto the mountain to meet with God. And he's with God for 40 days. And God downloads to Moses uh, really the pattern for relationship with him. He starts giving him some rules, some laws for the people of Israel to live by. And God's funny. He deals with all kinds of things. He deals with, you know, what happens if you lose one of your animals? What happens if, 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 if a man accidentally hits another man, you know, and, or if they accidentally shoot one of somebody else's animal? Like, he deals with all these laws because he wants his people to be able to be near him. It's all about his presence. It's all about intimacy with him. And so he gives them all these laws. But while he's on the mountain, actually, as you're reading Exodus, uh, if you're doing a one-year Bible, you're going to be coming up to that here in a little bit. But Exodus 19, basically through 29, is a whole lot of instructions. But basically, Exodus 25 through 29, he focuses in on the building of a tabernacle. And a tabernacle is a tent um, that God wants them to build, that we just showed you there. It's, it's a tent that God wants them to build so that he can dwell with his people. It's a place that he can physically come down and fill and be in the middle of his people. And so in Exodus chapter 29, I want to read from verse uh, 43, I believe. Um, just starting at verse 43, he says, he says, There I will meet with the people of Israel. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it will be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting. That's what God calls it, the tent of meeting. So God refers to the very first church as the tent of meeting. Meaning, not where you guys meet each other, but where you come to meet with God, and where God comes to meet with you. He says, he says I, will, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Now the altar there that he's talking about, um, the altar is, is the altar that you would have seen in the video. It's the big, uh, it looks like brass. I think it was actually copper back in the day. Um, it's the big copper uh, grill, for lack of a better term, right there in the middle of the outer court. He said, I will consecrate the tent of meeting. And he does this by filling it with his presence. After they build it, it takes them about nine months to build it. After they build it, God's presence comes in and starts dwelling in that tent. It's amazing. You know that the box with the angels on it that you saw in, in the video? That's the Ark of the Covenant. There was, there was, the scripture says there was a blue glory like flame that was glowing in midair suspended between the wings of the angels. Uh, that God's presence was literally physically there. And, and, and that's inspired such great movies like Indiana Jones, you know, uh, because of the power of that presence. And, and there are a lot of stories in the Old Testament about the power of that presence. And so God's presence goes there, but God also does something else. See, he says, I will consecrate um, the tent of meeting and the altar. And so on that day, they, they built that altar, and I'm going to talk about that altar today. But he built, they built the altar, and then God himself lit the fire. 
God, fire came down from heaven and bam, started burning the wood and stuff underneath the, underneath the altar and it began burning. So this is what God says. I will do the consecrating. I will approve of this by my presence coming down and touching each one of these pieces. I will, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. And I will dwell among the people of Israel and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So, so I want to talk to you uh, really over the next few weeks about this, this, this tabernacle. But this is the whole point, that God would dwell with us. The whole point is that God would be near to us. And this is an antiquated version, I guess, of God's presence. Uh, we're not going to build uh, boxes here, um, and we're not going to kill animals here. Um, because that's an old version. The new version is found in Jesus. That was a shadow. Jesus is the reality of the shadow. But it's really interesting when you go back and study the shadow, sometimes you pick up new understanding of Jesus that you didn't have before. Especially especially in our culture where, where, where everybody knows who Jesus is, but nobody knows who Jesus is. So it's really interesting because you, 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 you mentioned to somebody, I believe in Jesus, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they have a co- total a cultural idea of, what, of who that is and what that looks like. And it may have absolutely nothing to do with the Bible or, or any Jesus that ever actually walked the earth, uh, you know, or Jesus for that matter. Like, it's, it's interesting. Like, people have different ideas. And so sometimes it's good just to hit rewind a little, bit, a little bit and go back to the very first time that God attempted to, to dwell among men. What he's doing is he's laying out a pattern for intimacy with him, and he's also laying out a pattern that's reflected in heaven. So this is in the book of Exodus. It's near the front of your Bible. If you turn all the way back to the back of your Bible, the book of Revelation, you're going to find some of these same things. You're going to find an altar. You're going to find some incense. You're going to find, you're going to find some, of these, some of these exact same dimensions. Some of the exact same dimensions that God gave for the tabernacle is the same dimension. And so there's, there's some interesting parallels. So even though we are looking back, technically we're also looking forward. Because, because God was creating on earth something that reflected something in heaven where we are going. This is, this is where we're going. And, 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 and now, now it didn't work because of the sin of the people. And it didn't last because of the sin of the people. Um, but it was a great prototype of a person who was to come, mainly Jesus. And it's also a prototype and a shadow of what is to come is heaven for us. And so, and so I'm going to dive into this. And, and part of the difficulty of... of, of teaching on something like this is it's so vast and it's so crazy that I start going down all these rabbit holes and I only have three weeks. So I don't know. I, I, this, this might either be more of like a six-month sermon series. I don't know. Uh, oh, <laughs> some of you are like, oh no, another Colossians. Um, but the problem is we have like other plans and stuff and, and stuff in the works. So I don't really know. Uh, I, I'm not sure what God's going to do. Um, but I do want to, I, I do feel that God's calling us to a greater level of his presence. Uh, I, I do feel that that is absolutely true. I know for these three weeks especially, that's what prayer and fasting is all about. Somebody texted me this week and they were joining us in the prayer and fasting and they were asking me, you know, does the church have a specific focus in our prayer and are we praying for something? 
And I said, well, um, we are praying for a lot of things, actually. That's true. Um, we do have a lot of requests. And when we come on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to be talking about those requests. And I have a lot of things in my heart that I'm praying for for my family, um, for you all, for this church, for myself. But we're not necessarily fasting and praying for any particular request. We're really, we're just trying to get closer to God. I mean, just, just to make it, to put, it place, to put it as plainly as possible. We're trying to step into intimacy with God. We want a closer walk with him. We want a closer relationship with him. And that means that we have to take a step. That means we have to do something to step into a closer walk with him. And it is true, God loves everybody. And, and, and he does, he's no respecter of persons, which means anybody can step closer to him. He doesn't, his, you don't have to have a, a great background. You don't have to understand all, you don't have to have read all of the Bible. You don't have to understand all of theology. But if you just take a step forward, look, the people, these, like the, the people that are in this picture that, uh, that, that God's speaking to, they didn't know God. God spoke to Moses. Moses was the only one who had ever spoken to God before. In the entire nation. And we know this because God told Abraham, that his children would be captives for 400 years. That's like 10 generations of people who had never heard from God, who had never talked to God. They didn't know God at all. That's why, by the way, Moses had such a hard time. If you read the book of Exodus, that's why Moses had such a hard time pastoring these people. This is a good place for me to preach, but I, this, is, this, is, this, is tough. this is a tough example for you. But trust me, it's difficult to pastor people that don't have a relationship with God. It's really tough. And, 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 and I'd rather not do it. And, you know, it's, it's difficult because you're trying to sell people on something that they don't want to buy. You're trying to tell people to take a step towards someone that they don't even really trust. And they're like, I don't know that this is in my best interest. I don't know. And, and this is why, like, in the book of Exodus, you have all this grumbling and complaining and griping and backbiting, right? Because they don't have a relationship with God. You might have a relationship with a building or with a church or with a leader. But, man, if you don't have a relationship with God, you don't, you don't want to get closer to him. Because <laughs> you, you don't know if this is good for you. And, and this is who God came down to. God came down to Mount Sinai among a bunch of people that had no relationship with him at all. So if you're starting off at square one, if you're at ground zero in your relationship with God, hey, welcome to the club. Because this is the kind of people that God comes down to and offers relationship. Now, now you know, they, 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 they go through a bunch of stuff in Exodus, and they say, yes, we're going to follow you. We're going to do everything you say, and they're lying. And, uh, but they're not intentionally lying. They're in, their intentions are good, but they just didn't know the journey that was ahead of them. They didn't know how difficult it would be. They didn't know how much of self they would have to let go of. And so at different and varying points, they said, yeah, okay, I'm out. And different ones of them at different levels. But, but Moses is there before God, and God says, look, this is my plan, that these people would get close to me in the wilderness, yes, but this same tabernacle went with them into the promised land. So the next generation that, that was ready to give of themselves and, and really pursue God, they, they got to experience the presence of God in the tabernacle. And that's the purpose of the tabernacles, that God may dwell with human people, with sinful people, with broken people. 
people, with messed up people, with addicted people, with people who are not worthy to enter into his presence. And yet he wanted still to have fellowship with them and relationship with them. So that's why I think the tabernacle is still applicable today. Because, I don't know if you notice it or not, but we have a few of those people. <laughs> just, just look in a mirror. Because, because it's, it's, it's all of us. All of us are broken in some way. All of us are messed up. We all need God to come down to us. We can't go up to him. We need him to come down to us. We need him to make the first step. And he did that in Jesus. But he's also doing this here in the book of Exodus. And so there's a couple of um, points that I want to look at. First off, and I'm not sure how far I'll get today, but really just the placement of the tabernacle. The placement of the tabernacle. God gives specific instructions about where this tabernacle is going to go. If we could go back to the main slide, um, just so you can see the picture. Uh, God gave specific instructions as to exactly where this tabernacle would be set up. Now, they were a portable church and a portable people. You see, they have tents everywhere. But God gave specific instructions as to where they would be set up. And we found this in Numbers chapter 2. So God gave specific instructions, by the way, about almost everything about this, this tabernacle, from the designs that would be, uh, like, like he didn't let them just be creative. You know, like, oh, just, just be creative, do some, do some cool design on the door. No, like he was real specific. He's like, I want seraphim on, the, on, that, on that curtain. I want you to sew seraphims on it, um, and I want them to be this color. And I want them to be this size. Like he's very, very specific because it's reflective of heaven. And he doesn't, he doesn't want them to mess it up. And so he wants them to build something that he can dwell in, that they can use as a prototype for what, for what qualifies his presence, for how to enter into his presence. And so in Numbers chapter 2, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, The people of Israel shall camp each by his own standard. Uh, the standard is the flag that they had. So each tribe had a flag, um, and uh, they did get to pick those. <laughs> so they kind of got, and, and you, you'll see that all 12 tribes have these different flags. And, and the banners of their father's houses. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side. They shall camp facing the tent of meeting on every side, which means God said you have to build the tabernacle in the center and everybody camps facing it on every side. And this is, by the way, I think this is the first step to intimacy with God is you camp facing him on every side. Uh, God's always doing this. He's coming in the middle of people. He's coming in the middle. He said, he said, look, when 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 you set up camp, I want I want you guys to have their their flags and their banners and represent their family. Absolutely, that's good. And I want you to camp with your family. So God's God's interested in the family unit. He's not trying to break that down. He says, look, I want you to be fathers and mothers with their children in the same tent, but I want you to face that tent. I want the door of that that, that tent to be facing my presence, to be facing the tabernacle. And in fact, on every side, I want my presence to be smack dab in the middle of my people. And this is what God is always doing. This is what Jesus said, where two or three gather in my name, there I am in the middle or the, the midst, or as people often mispronounce it, the mist. 
like the fog machine. I don't know. See, that's a, hey, he's in the fog machine. Come on, somebody. He's in the mist. Um, but no, it's not mist. It's midst, which is King James for middle. He says, I am in, where two or three gather in my name, I am in the middle of them. And by the way, this is the only way that God will dwell with humans is when he's in the middle. He will not be on the outside. He will not be on the edges. He will not be there in case you need him. I mean, you can try that, but I guarantee when you try to turn around to find him where you last left him, you're not going to be able to recover him because he didn't stay there. He won't be on the outsides of your life. He comes into the middle or nowhere. This is the only place that he dwells, is in the middle. He dwells in the middle of broken people. He dwells in the middle of broken relationships, which is why the church is so important. That even though we're not perfect, even though we don't all look the same, have the same skin color, we don't all dress the same, we don't listen to the same music or root for the same team. Congratulations to the Houstons, though, by the Houston Texans, though, by the way. Last night's victory to Sean Watson, not only to help my fantasy team all year, he put that team on his back last night. So... But to all the Cowboys fans, I'm sorry. It's just got to try again next year. But so we don't all cheer for the same. We don't all vote for the same politicians. But when God is in the middle, then all of our tents are facing him. And that's what this 21 days is all about, is that throughout life, throughout a year, your tent can kind of start facing other ways. You know, because kids, it's the kids. I blame the kids. They're running around. They're jostling things, pushing the tent around. It gets rearranged, man. <laughs> it's not all the kids. Fantasy football also tends to take your focus a little bit this way. And there's some work and some job and some education. And there's some goals. There's some savings plans. And there's some death in the family. And there's some tragedy. And there's some stuff that wants to turn your tent to face, not God, but to face, start facing other people. And this is the danger. Every church that is falling apart is falling apart because it is not facing the presence of God. They are facing each other. They've turned their tents around and they started facing. Because you were, you, you were created to gaze at something intently. You were created to stare at something and examine something and notice the minutest imperfections. That's, you were created for that. You were created to face the tabernacle, to face the presence of God and notice if anything is off. And by the way, nothing's ever off about God. And so you were created to admire that, that there's absolutely no darkness in him whatsoever. He is completely perfect. You were created for that. But when you move your tent and you start facing somebody who's not completely perfect, you start seeing all the darkness. You start seeing all the problems. You start seeing all the issues. And, 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 and it frustrates you and it angers you because, because you weren't created for that. You were created to view perfection, to gaze on perfection. This is what worship is. This is where worship starts, that in the morning when you walk out of your tent, you're facing the presence of God. You're gazing on the perfection of God. Now, once again, we don't have tents. I'm not talking about tents. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about your schedule. I'm talking about your alarm clock. I'm talking about your, that when you wake up, are you facing the presence of God and the perfection of God? Or are you waking up to scroll Facebook to check on other people, what they're doing? What happens is over time, our tents get turned, our, our focus gets turned, our lives get turned, and we start facing other people and other things and other pursuits. And what the 21 days is about is really just turning our tents around to face God. And it's not comfortable. I didn't have 
Starbucks this morning. So it's not comfortable. You, you do without some things because it is those very things that help pull you away from God. And so sometimes you have to release some of those because when you, when you move a physical tent, it's not comfortable either. Everything has got to come out. We got to lift the stakes up. We got to turn the thing and then everything. It's like moving, only you don't really move. You just, you, you just rotate, you know? I mean, it's all the work of moving without the joy of a better view. <laughs> but it is a better view because now your door is facing the presence of God. The first thing you see in the morning and the last thing you see at night. That the glow of the presence of God is, is emanating into your tent, into your home. This is what real worship, this is where real worship starts. It starts with a focus. It starts with an intention to face him. Before you even enter into his presence, before you even go to church, the, 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 you, I can tell, it's interesting to me, I, you, I can tell as a pastor, the, just the, the level of, uh, of, of, wor- of a worship service that we're going to have based on the level of tent facing that people have throughout the week. It's interesting. As, if, 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 I could do one of two things. I could either like, like bring in Darlene Check, and that would like get you guys fired. You guys maybe you're not from the '90s. You don't know who she is. Um, Hillsong, we could bring in Hillsong or Bethel, or and it's just you know, and like they they hook up all their gear and just have this amazing worship experience, um, and 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 it would be great. Uh, and and you guys would get fired up about it because it's Hillsong, it's Bethel, it's whoever, and it's woo. But or I could get you all to turn your tents to face God throughout the week. And literally, you would come just as ready to worship as if you were on TV and Bethel was there and we had, they had the, the, the signs, applause, 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 you know, like all of that stuff. Like, like you, it would, it would, we wouldn't have to manufacture, we wouldn't have to manufacture the anointing. We wouldn't have to, we wouldn't have to promote it so much. We wouldn't have to market it if people's tents were faced toward God. And this is what I noticed this past year is many of you began to move your tents toward God actually during the 21 days. I know, I know about five families that moved their tent toward God during those 21 days. And it radically affected the whole rest of the year. I mean, their January impacted their February and their March and their April and their May and their June and their July. And, and it was a significant change. Because when you move your tent, when you're facing him on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, by the time you get to Sunday, you've already examined him. You've already taken him as faithful. You've already considered that he's good. And we don't have to sing it a thousand times for you to be like, okay, fine, he's good. But you're, you're ready to worship him, to enter into his presence. And it's easy. And it's, and it's amazing how the placement of this thing determined the effectiveness of it. The placement of God in your life will determine the effectiveness of him in your life. If he's at the center, then, then you will be able to see his beauty. You will be able to, you, you, will, you will desire him. The difficulty with, with Moses trying to lead a people that don't know God is that he's trying to encourage them to go towards somebody that they don't even know they want, they don't even desire. And this is the difficulty with trying to pastor people that have no relationship with God. Maybe they have a relationship with the church. But as soon as you start pushing them toward the presence of God, they say, I don't know, I don't know. I liked church. I like the rules of church. I like the building. I like the structure. I like the candles on Christmas Eve. But I'm not sure 
And, and, and it is difficult. And so God said, let me help you out with this. And the, one of the ways I'm going to help you out is I'm going to have everybody face me all the time so that they can see my beauty, so that they can see how attractive I am, so that they can see how good I am, so that they can see how faithful I am. And as they gaze on him, then they begin to grow an appetite inside of themselves to get nearer to him and closer to him. And it's interesting, God then goes on throughout this whole chapter to tell them exactly how to camp around him. He says, those um, to camp on the east side toward the sunrise shall be the standard of the camp of Judah. The standard of the camp of Judah. Now, the standard of the camp of Judah is a lion. You've heard of the lion of the tribe of Judah? Well, that's Jesus came out of the lineage, the, uh, came out of Judah. And so he is, according to scripture, he is that lion on that, on that banner. Well, that was their banner. And so God said, on the east side, I want you to put Judah, and I want you to have them put their, their flag, which is a lion, and uh, the standard of the camp of their companies. And the chief of the people of Judah being this guy and this other guy, which is hard to pronounce, his company is listed as being 74,600. Now, God does this throughout this chapter. He numbers exactly how many people are in each family. But God doesn't care about numbers, I'm sure. It's, 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 it's a complete typo. Those to camp next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar. So you have Judah, and then behind him you have Issachar. The chief of the people of Issachar being Nathaniel, son of Zur. His company is listed as being 54,400. Then the tribe of Zebulun, chief people, Zebulun being Eliab uh, and the son of Helon. His company is listed as being 57,400. And then God does some math, which I don't, I don't think this is true. God doesn't do math. Um, the Lord is not in that. Uh, all those listed by their companies were 186,400 people. He gives the exact number of the people who are to dwell on the east side of the tent. It's just interesting. Uh, it's 186,400. Then he says, okay, on the south side, I want you to put the standard of the camp of Reuben by their companies. Now, Reuben, his standard was the face of a man. I don't know if it was actually Reuben himself, like a, a picture, but it was uh, his, his, his banner was Reuben. This is his face. The chief people of Reuben being uh, Eleazar, the son, the son of this guy, and his company is listed as this particular number. Now he goes through and he tells all the other tribes that will be on the south side, and he says this group equals 151,450. Notice that's a little bit less than 186,400. Stretching your brains a little bit. It's right around 30,000 less. Okay, that's the south side. And then, then he says that the tent of the meeting shall be the tent of the meeting shall be set out with the camp of the Levites in the middle as they camp, so that each position is standard by standard. Then he says on the west side. So he's covered the east side. Now he's got the south side. Now he's going over to the west side. Shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim um, by their companies. Uh, the chief of the people of Ephraim being, and he goes on to list them, and then he gives the total math um, for these uh, folks as well on the east side: one hundred fifty-seven thousand. Very similar. Uh, to the other 157,000 uh, numbers of people. Uh, and then he comes over to the north side. And he says the north side, north side should be the standard of the camp of Dan by their companies, chief of the people. And he goes on to explain and tell the numbers. All those listed in that camp were 157,000 um, on the north side. And what's interesting is when you start to sort of build this out, on the west side, I'm sorry, the north side is 157,600. On the west side in verse 18, he, he then says the total there is 108,000. 
So you have on one side 187,000, you have on another side 157,000, and on the opposite side 157,000, and then on this side you have 108,000. I'm not really good at math, but 108 is less than 157 and 157. 157 is actually the same as 157. So on either side, <laughs> seeing if you're awake, on either side of the tent, you have 157 and 157. And then on this side, you have 186, which is longer. And then on this side, you have 108, which is shorter. Now, it's just interesting to me that the way God laid out, and he said this specific amount of people is going to create a shape. <laughs> Where you have 157 on this side, 157 on this side, 108 on this side, which is shorter, and 186 on the bottom, which is longer. Can anybody tell what that shape might be? <laughs> it might be a cross. So that when God looked down on the camp of Israel, he was looking, yes, at the center is his presence, but his people are literally the shape of a cross. It's prophetic of what is to come, that Jesus... This is what John says. John says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt means to tabernacle or to live with, to make one's tent, pitch one's tent with. This is what happened. Jesus came and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only Son of God, full of grace and truth. Those two things are so important. Grace and truth. And, and it is in the shape of the cross. His presence comes to us in the shape of the cross. Also, what's interesting about those, those, those banners um, is that those banners, I, I believe the banner of Dan is, a, is, is an eagle. It's a flag of an eagle. The banner of Ephraim is, uh, is a bull. And the banner of uh, uh, Judah is a lion. And the banner of that, that other guy, what's his name, Reuben, is a man. Now, what's interesting is you get to heaven, and there are four living creatures around the throne. Just like four flags that God had placed around, around his presence. And the throne is where he dwells in heaven. There are four living creatures. And you know what those four living creatures look like? <laughs> Well, the one looks like a bull, one looks like an eagle, one looks like a lion, and one looks like a man. God is replicating on earth what is currently in heaven. Now, it's not as powerful, it's not the same, but it's a reflection. He says, look, this is how you come into my presence. You must first come to the cross. You must first come to the sacrifice of my son. That before we get into the utensils and before we get into the altar, which I really want to get into next week, and the door. By the way, there's only one door. <laughs> there's only one door. And, 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 and you go in and out of that door. It's not, a, it's not like Walmart. It's not an entrance and an exit. It's just there's one door. And, 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 and so before we get to the door and then, and then the altar, which is really cool. It's made of copper. Copper is the, the metal of judgment. And it's the first thing, by the way. When you enter in, it's the first thing. Now, 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 if you were camped up on a mountain and you looked down, the first thing you'd see is the cross. But after that, you would see sacrifice. You would see death. You would see burning. You would smell the burning 
meat, dead flesh. That's always going to be a part of worship. Stuff, stuff that you've been carrying with you through the year. By the way, do you know when they finally, do you know when they finished the tabernacle? It says they took them nine months. You know what else takes nine months to complete? <laughs> it says it took them nine months. And the day when they finished the tabernacle, do you know, do you know when the day they finished? It was, it was in the month of Nisan, which is in the spring. It was on the first day. And that is for them. That's what God told them in the book of Exodus would be their new year. Nowadays, the Jews celebrate the new year in the fall uh, in Rosh Hashanah. But in the Bible, God said, your new year shall be on one Nisan, the first day of Nisan. It also says a lot of interesting things about the fact that Jesus was probably born on the first of Nisan as well, not on December 25th. But we can get into that some other time because the tabernacle took nine months to build in anyway. And so you, you, it started in a new year, which means the animals that you're bringing to the tabernacle are the ones from last year. So there's some stuff, I don't know, some stuff from last year you might have to burn. You might just have to light a fire, build an altar, and let, let some of it go and lay some of it down. In order to enter into, that's the first step in order to enter into the presence of God. Would you pray with me right now? I just want to pray over you. And you might be here today and you say, I don't really know about altars and tabernacles, but I do know that I want to get closer to God. And if that's you today, would you raise your hand and say, God's calling me to get closer to him in some way, wherever, yeah, hands up all over the place. No matter how far away you are or whatever, you might be pretty close to him, but God's calling you to get closer. So, Lord, you see our hands raised, you see our our hearts, that we desire more of you. We desire for you to be in the center. So we place you in the center right now, right here in the first Sunday of the year. We place you in that, in that, that place of priority. And we understand we're going to have to move our tent. We understand this is going to cost us something. We're going to have to change our schedules. We're going to have to reprioritize. We're going to have to take some stuff out of our tent. We're probably going to have to let some stuff go. We're going to have to let some things burn. But Lord, we just believe that you're worth it. <laughs> we've, seen, we've seen your goodness. We've seen your beauty. We've seen the joy. We've seen the fruit of the Spirit. The, we've seen the results of the Spirit. That the results of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. The things we don't have on our own... This is the results of walking and living in communion with the Spirit. And we want those results. We've seen your beauty. We've seen your goodness. We've seen your glory. We want more of you in our lives. We want more of you in our homes. We want more of you in our families. We want more of you in our church. Lord, help us to turn our tents from facing others. Let us face you. Let's restructure our lives. Let us use these 21 days to, to just, just sort through some stuff. Pull some things out. Hmm. What's her face? Last year she was real popular. Marie Kondo. Is it Marie? Mary? Mary? It's a real weird name. Marie? She's like Chinese or something. Japanese. Yeah, Marie Kondo. She... She got real popular last year, like for cleaning out 
your house because everybody wants to do that in January. And so she was like going through and and what the one question she always asked her like would she like does this bring me joy? That's what she would she would ask. She would ask that. And um, it's interesting. Uh, we were watching that last year because everybody was watching it last year. And um, she like when when something doesn't bring her joy, which a lot of things do not bring her joy, by the way. She's lacking some joy. A lot of stuff. She's just like, meh. But she, she always, like, says goodbye to it. And, you know, like, she gets a T-shirt. If you notice that, she grabs a T-shirt, and she's like, well, you were a good T-shirt for a while, or thank you for, I don't know. She thanks it for being whatever it was. And then she, you know, so she lets it go, you know. And it's, it's, it was interesting. So we were watching that. I was like, babe, if you start talking to our clothes, you know, I'm going to have to. I'm going to need professional help, you know, like pastoral counseling can only take you so far. We need something. But, but, but I started researching that. And the reason she does that is, is it's, it's a religious reason because she's, she's, she's a Shin, Shin, Shintoism. She's into Shintoism where they believe that there's a divine uh, nature inside of everything. And so, you know, you're throwing away God. That's a bummer. So you, you might want to make them a little happy with you before you chuck them away. So she's, that, but that's, that's why. Now, we don't believe that. That's called paganism. That's, that's what that is. So it's just, just, just to clarify. And actually, it probably explains the nature of her question, though, because her question always bothered me, too. Does this bring me joy? That's what happens when you turn your tents this way. You know what I mean? Then you start looking at everything in your life. Does this bring me joy? Does my wife bring me joy? Do my kids bring me joy? Does, does the church bring me joy? Does that bring me joy? I don't know. I think, I think it, it, you're not too far away from Aleister Crowley. I was reading on, on vacation. I like to read some kind of weird stuff. And he was, uh, he was, he's the one who coined the phrase, do what thou wilt, which is, he says, the whole of the law. He was a major Satanist in the 19th century and so. Why not read his little Bible, right? It was interesting. But no, you're not too far away from that. Does this bring me joy? Do what you will. This is what Satan loves to tell his followers. Let's, 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 let's focus on you. Let's turn the tent toward you. There's enough of this God stuff. What brings you joy? What if, what if in God's house, what if we just said, hey, does this bring God joy? What if we held up every article? I don't know about your t-shirts. I mean, do what you do what thou wilt with your t-shirts. I don't care. I don't think God cares. I mean, you know, it, it, I don't, if, but, but, but when it comes to like, does this thought bring God joy? Does this habit bring God joy? Does this movie I'm watching bring God joy? Does this uh, activity bring God joy? Does this habit bring, does this word that I just said? Does this conversation that I just had, did that bring God joy? Oh, it's getting quiet now. <laughs> oh, we'll bash on Marie Kondo, but when it comes to me, I don't know. Because, I, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to look at Shintoism and say, oh, that's silly. God's not in fabric. But it's more difficult to say, no, actually, I think very similar to that. I'm evaluating my whole life based on whether or not that brings me joy or doesn't. And that's a pagan idea. Because God said, look, I want you to face me so that you're not asking that question. Because that's not important. What's important is, does it bring God joy? And our joy, the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so when he is made joyful, we become strong. This is what happens, though, in paganism. When you remove God out of the middle of the camp, 
you have nobody else to look at than yourself and others. I just hope that we don't live like pagans. I just hope that we don't, that we don't read uh, the gospel and believe the theory of it and then shelve it and live as if he doesn't exist. But he does exist. And let's evaluate each and every conversation, movie, song we're listening to, uh, places that we go, people that we talk to, what we do with our money. <laughs> does that bring God joy? Yeah, let's just, let's, 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 let's spend 2020 making him happy, bringing him joy, getting rid of everything that doesn't, and keep all the t-shirts you want. Um, just get a bigger closet or something. I don't know. Figure it out. <laughs>